0: Welcome back everybody to another Bolton eBikes podcast. I've got a lot of guests on the show lately and that has been a lot of fun. I much prefer it when I have somebody to talk to. Well, I guess I always have somebody to talk to. I'm talking to you, but it's nice when somebody talks back. We'll put it that way. So today I've got the founder of Bowhead Corp, Christian Bag, on the podcast as a guest. I met him at the Uh, Sea Otter Classic out in Monterey. Some of you may have seen the video that I did about that. It was the first video I released after Sea Otter because I thought it was one of the coolest things I saw. So let's jump right into it. Once again, with the founder, Christian Bagg from Bowhead Corp. Well, thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's really nice to get the exposure in the cycling industry that we fought so hard to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate it.
0: So I think for those that are not familiar with what you do, I think we, we kind of have to start with what you guys make first because it's totally different from everything else I've had either on the YouTube channel or on the podcast.
1: So it's funny because it's a lot like describing an elephant in, in a lot of ways in that it's much easier to see a picture of it than <laughs> to describe it. So True. So if they do happen to to have access to a device of some sort, uh, going to our Instagram is probably pertinent at this point for our webpage, so at bowheadcorp or www.bowheadcorp.com. So once, you, if you can reference it with a photo or I'll, I'll try and describe the elephant that it is. So we do a, a three-wheeled adaptive mountain bike, or that's what it began as. It's got two wheels up front and then one like a big fat bike wheel in the back. The current offering is all electric, so it's got a 3,000-watt motor, twist throttle, big mountain bike like downhill brakes all around, and it your feet outstretched out front. But a super unique thing about it, and adaptive meaning that it was originally designed for people with mobility disabilities, so paraplegics or amputees or cerebral palsy, uh, MS, things that stop you from walking around. And a difficulty to access the terrain we were looking to access is that it's uneven and sloped and there's rocks and roots and and all these things. And so typically a 3 wheeled vehicle would be prone to tipping. And to combat that, they make them really wide, uh, the, the competitors, if you will, which then once you add a whole bunch of width, then you've really limited the trails that you can go on. The real crux of what we do is this articulating framework in the front of the bike, you control it through your connection to the seat and your hands to the handlebar, and you're able to manipulate the lean, if you will, of the bike so it'll accommodate up to a 30 degree side slope. And then the function of that too is that in a corner you can lean it 30 degrees. So not only can you be, can you travel along a side, traverse a side slope and not tip over, but you could also be going super hot into a corner and lean over 30 degrees, just like a bike, really.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, for a three wheeled vehicle, it feels very much like a bike. And the adaptive side of it is sort of going away in that we have a number of customers that are just sort of more on the elderly side of things that don't have the stability on a bike that they used to. And and just enjoy the functionality
0: of, of the Bowhead Reach. Interesting. That was one of the questions I was going to ask. Are you seeing different groups of people buying this that may or may not necessarily need it, but it's a better fit for what they want to do? And it sounds like that's a definite yes already. That's cool.
1: Yeah, totally. Because you can get out of it too. It, if you're getting older and you're used to hiking to the top of the mountains, but now you're relegated to the valley floor, your grandkids are growing up. Now we've got we have customers that are using it for hiking or, or biking to keep up with their younger generations. And, and now they're going back to the top of the mountain. But then when you get up there, you can still hop out, walk around the lake or whatever it is that's kicking around up there. So it's funny because now for years I called it an adaptive mountain bike. And now, now I don't know what to call it. <laughs> really, like it's just changing.
0: That's a really interesting use for it. it. I mean, it sounds like... Yeah, I don't know what you call it either yet, honestly, but uh, it's an interesting, unique, light electric vehicle that you can get places with that they wouldn't be able to get to. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it does, I guess, When I, now that I think about it. It's kind
1: of like an ATV in a way. Like we did a, a trip to Trout Lake, BC, which is, a, which is in the interior of British Columbia in Canada. And there's like big mountains around and it was a mining community. 100 years ago and so there's mining roads everywhere and we went with guides on ATVs, like on big proper ATVs, four wheelers and eventually they had to get off and walk to follow us with the articulation, it's actually much more nimble and capable because of the side slope access that you get, so yeah it's it's an interesting vehicle
0: I can imagine a lot of the advantages because I have or I have owned, well I guess I still have them two things that i can think of that are kind of bicycles with three wheels one is a a trike that we currently sell but it's it's an upright trike it doesn't lean you know there's a certain type of person that wants that for just cruising around town it's got a big basket on the front uh but it's not good off-road at all for for the exact reason you described if you're on a side slope the whole bike is tilted to the side you can't stay upright like you can on a normal bicycle so it It's kind of terrible (laughs) in that situation. That's the one one thing it doesn't do very well at all. And then I I still have, it's kind of a project in the back of the shop, but a a Velo-Mobile, which I'm sure you've heard of or are familiar with with what you do, but, you know, similar layout, recumbent tadpole kind of trike shape, two wheels in the front, one in the back, but it doesn't lean. When I first got that, Uh, I was breaking a lot of spokes because (laughs) I was going high speed on turns and bicycle wheels are not designed to take a side load like that. It doesn't work very well. But with your design, that problem's completely eliminated. So it's always something I wished that I had. You've made that. And I guess we don't know what to call it yet. Adaptive trike, but it's not adaptive anymore. But yeah, the, the whole design to me was just super cool from the, from the moment i saw it you know and of course the electric component just makes it even better
1: <laughs> and it's funny like cuz we do i think because of starting in the adaptive space like people with disabilities and maybe this will change as well but everyone does call it their bike and in the cycling world if you make something with three wheels it's a trike but i think because our customer base came from bikes and then they were you know whether they were injured this that or the other they still saw themselves as bikers you know at, at heart mm-hmm. so at getting access to this and getting back out on the trails that they used to ride they're like yeah this is my i'm going to call this my bike because i don't want to have to have something special and it's it something special because i can still mm-hmm. do what i used to do so it's my mm-hmm. bike now so we're kind of we're a three-wheeled vehicle company that has this like Maybe it's a short-term pass, but at least we've got a pass right now to call it our bike.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, legislation-wise, most bicycle laws say two or three wheels. So I, th- I think, okay, I think, oh, I there think, you go. <laughs> nice. I think you're in the clear. I, I don't know about Canadian laws, but I know in in the U.S. in California specifically, yeah, it's it's very specific. It's almost always says two or three wheels, and it's been that way for a long time. So, <laughs> do you think? Based on the way you were just talking about it, they're calling it a bike because that's what they came from before? Or do you think there's there's a negative connotation with the word trike?
1: I think there could be a negative connotation with the word trike, but not for the same reason that cycling community might have the negative connotation for the word trike. I think for the disabled community, it would just be a negative connotation with anything that is seen as different not a negative connotation just like it's just more tiresome that you're always in something unique and now finally your piece of equipment allows you to ride on par like black diamond trails jump trails
0: i've seen some of the videos i mean these you know the these guys are taking bigger jumps than than i've ever taken <laughs> so i mean that that just shows what they're capable of which is pretty crazy it's pretty cool
1: it's pretty awesome cuz we i think I come from a, a design background, and we have we have a lot of engineering here. And, and we, in the very beginning, we really, we were the leaders, um, and now we're the followers. And it's not that we're following a competitor, it's that we're following our customer. Like, nobody, I couldn't have imagined that someone would be dropping off a, a 15-foot ramp, like a drop-off on these things, or just jumping them, period. I'm 47, and I just didn't come from a jumping background.
0: I think I remember us talking about that at Sea Otter, that the people were coming to you that were buying these things and be like, well, go off a 10-foot drop, and you were like, I don't know. We, we never tried it. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. But then
1: they do it, and they do it successfully. The things we've got in the pipeline definitely lean towards that style of riding for that style of bike. We've also gone away from a, a one-bike model. In January, we'll be launching the, the RX, which is our pedal-assisted hand cycle. So the same technology, the leaning, but now you're, you're putting in cardiovascular input. You're, you're cranking away. But it's definitely, I say this, it's definitely not meant for jumping, but I'm sure
0: somebody will probably do some of that to some degree.
1: Yeah. But then the all-electric version will sort of follow the path of, of the, the style of riding that's like the, the park riding that's becoming so popular in racing and enduro and downhill and dual solemn and stuff like that. So a little more travel, a little burlier, a bigger learning curve, but but a tighter handling, if you will, sort of really leaning into the performance side of it uh, as opposed to just a, a one bike fits all.
0: This may be kind of an odd question, but I'm just thinking about, because I've seen these in person, I've watched the videos, you know, I've seen how durable the components and everything look on it. And, and based on what you're describing to me now of downhill jumps, being able to stay upright on single track trails, my question is, is there anything this thing can't do? <laughs> because it looks extremely capable
1: not a sales guy talking to you there there isn't really
0: i can't think of anything that's why i asked the question i thought if somebody knows if there's a weakness in these and what's the next frontier i mean it it's almost like well not really they could go everywhere and do everything like i mean (laughs) yeah i think
1: the weakness is just that even though we don't know exactly how but they will get better always and it seems like an obvious statement for you and people in the cycling world to say like like they'll always get better. Bikes have always gotten better. Cars always get better. In the adaptive space, in like the medical space, people's wheelchairs are still just two bent tubes with four wheels. Like from the, the designs from like the 1980s, it's really it's less common in the giant medical world for things to get better because it's big companies with big market share and they just don't make it better. So that is something that makes Bowhead unique as well, and and our customers would say the same thing. Is that they're so excited that there's innovation taking place in that the bike that we made that that swept the podium at the Canadian Dunbar downhill series or Sea otter and will continue to sweep the podium that, that we're not sitting on it going, awesome, it's done. We did it. (laughs) It's it's like, Oh no, every single piece of this is going to have to change in the next couple of years to keep up with what these people want to do because the pioneers of of jumping this thing and, and riding it down double black trails at Whistler. They're the early mountain bikers. They're the Gary Fishers and Gary Fisher couldn't keep up with the good mountain bikers. He was good in his time, but not in comparison. So like even our our great riders will be the crappy riders in five years. <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry Cole and Trevor, but yeah it's the okay. case. Yeah, there's there's always younger, faster, better.
0: Yeah, it, it seems like that whenever you watch. I mean, all you have to do is go look at. It's funny. Uh, I know I've done this before. If you look at some of like the extreme sports, like the X Games, and you watch footage of any event, whether it's cycling or skateboarding or anything, and you watch the skill level from today, it's like, wow, that's amazing. And then you go backwards and watch something from like 10 years ago, and see like the gold medal run. It's like, that's kind of (laughs) mediocre. You know, and those were the best in the world at the time. Uh, So I totally see where you're coming from, where you're going to have people doing these crazy things, uh, your bikes now, what are they going to be doing in five years? Like we probably can't even really dream or even imagine what they're going to be doing on them in a few years from now.
1: Totally, And just as laughable of, you know, looking back, 15, 20 years at downhill mountain bikes with 24 inch wheels and like hilarious linkages. And you're like, I can't believe they rode down <laughs> that on that piece of junk. As a business owner, I hope that in five years we look at our current bikes and go, I can't believe we rode those things. Like <laughs> what piece of the garbage, even though I'm crazy proud of it right now. I just-
0: right. That means that, yeah, you're going to have something so much better as time goes on. That's awesome. I I really like that perspective because I I view our bikes the same way. Part of it's I don't want to discourage people and be like, don't wait for the next best thing. Like, they're really great now. You can do amazing things on an electric bike of any type right now. Like, don't wait for next year's technology because it's not going to be a huge leap. In five years, probably will be. But you're going to miss out on five years of riding (laughs) if you don't go do something now. But yeah, I'm always trying to think what little thing is, even if it's just one thing, can we improve something on the next batch of bikes that we make? That's the way I think it should be. So awesome to hear that that you guys are doing that. It's no surprise. Like I said, I, I saw these in person. I'll have to ask about your machining background because we do a fair amount of machining here as well. And I could tell like, these are some quality parts and pieces going into this. This was not an easy thing to build. And I could tell this took years to get to where it's at already. I think it'd be good to backtrack a little bit and see what started this. And I mean, where did your expertise come from to even start Bowhead in the first place?
1: We have to go back a long time. Like in high school, I was a mountain biker. I loved mountain biking. I had a uh, Yo Eddie Fat Chance with a Trek DDS-3 front suspension shock. I raced downhill on my rigid frame bike. And it was the thing that I loved most in the world. And then I got a job as an apprentice machinist out of high school at the university in Calgary. I was building, I was helping build things for like research engineers and students and things like that. So a really broad variety of of things, and and with kind of a access to the people who taught engineering and were engineers. So I heard things and I listened, and they talked to me and treated me as an equal, and and so. A great education all in all um, and it was two years into my apprenticeship at the university shop that I broke my back snowboard so uh, this love of mountain biking and this this sort of new knowledge of how to make things and really with uh, my because I loved mountain biking it was back in like the the ringlay days and stuff where you know purple anodized and blue anodized everything was <laughs> was big and you know aircraft quality CNC machined parts and stuff so it was very like apples to apples sort of learning and sport love that I had. And so when I broke my back, I lost the ability to ride my bike, but I, I didn't lose my love of bikes. So, and that stayed with me. And immediately I recognition that I wasn't going to get back up and stand up and that the rest of my life would be in some ways or in always a hundred percent reliant on technology. Like I, from a wheelchair to get around, to a ski to go skiing, or hand controls to drive my car, something was always going to help me do it. And in some ways, and had I been a, and well, I had my degree in finance and been making millions of dollars or anything, that would have been less helpful than knowing how to build my way around my life. Being a machinist was, ended up being probably the most useful thing I could have done because I got to encounter a problem, think of a solution. Think Of what I thought was a solution and then create it and then see if it actually was the solution.
0: Was there anything at the time that was an okay solution or did you kind of have to start from scratch?
1: Yeah, I've never owned a, an adaptive mountain bike other than my own. There was nothing, there was a company called uh, One Off, and I think they used to make pie bike frames way back in the day. And then they got into like adaptive mountain bikes, and it was uh it was a, I think it was three wheels too. And you're kind of in this prone position on your your knees, and it was giants, and it just didn't like the. I live in Calgary, Canada, and the the Rockies, so like Banff from Canmore, the there's a big mountain town nearby, and and our trails are especially in the early days. Mountain bike trails are basically just repurposed hiking trails, so tight switchbacks and narrow and And so they just, these things didn't go where I wanted to go or where my friends went. Um, I didn't want to go alone. I I had plenty of sports that I could do alone. So I got into wheelchair racing. I got into cross-country sit-skiing. I had this void of biking for probably like close to 20 years. So I cracked the code on this this leaning. It's all about the leaning. As the story goes, I was cross-country skiing with my girlfriend. And a cross-country sit-ski is just basically a seat the cafeteria seat, a little fancier, but for all intents and purposes, not much difference. With two skis, and then you just double pull. You just push with your arms and, and you pull. And if you're strong, you can go fast. And you go in the track, like they often, for those that don't cross-country ski, they groom trails.
0: Yeah, like these perfectly uh, two ski marks. I've done a little bit of cross-country skiing. My older sisters did cross-country skiing in high school. So I, yeah, I, I can envision that exactly. You're just pushing along in these tracks, just getting yourself moving as fast as you can.
1: Yeah. And you can get good, really good, faster than most people can with their legs. But I wanted to go a little further and take my girlfriend to these mountain huts. And so we went about, you know, six miles and then the groom trail ended and it was just sort of backcountry, cross country skiing, sort of a trail, but not a groomed trail. As we went by trees, the trail got softer and less compact and it was snowing a bunch. And and every time you go by a tree, you encounter a tree well, which is like the the soft snow around the buried tree. And Mm -hmm. I would tip into the Mm -hmm. tree well because the track would, even for like the skiers in front of me, their foot closest to the tree would sink down low. And so I would encounter these drastic side slopes frequently. If you're familiar with outdoors, there's lots of trees. So (laughs) every time we went by a tree, I would tip, and this girl would pull me out of this tree well, and this, our progress slowed significantly. And without telling a long, long story, it ended with a, a helicopter ride. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> so everyone was safe, but we were just we were stuck. <laughs> it snowed like two feet overnight, and and we were we were stuck. Uh, so I have a permanent tree well puller out right now, <laughs> but I also I came up with this mechanism that would allow one ski to go higher than the other. And so that I could traverse side slopes. i had always been trying to make a mountain bike for myself, but always failures, hilarious failures. And, and you know, a little, little, minor, like minor steps forward every time, like whether it was adding brakes or adding suspension, like adding things on, but never, never getting to the kind of like lipstick on a pig, you know, like it was never,
0: it was never going to go where you wanted it to go. Yeah.
1: It didn't solve the problem. And then when I made this ski, it totally worked. It was like one of those things that you make that just works. And you're like, oh my God, I can't believe that that, I don't need to change anything. It's just working. <laughs> and staring at it one day, I was like, oh my goodness. If I just turn the ski upside down and take the skis off and put wheels on the side and the handlebar here and do this and do that, now I could lean my whole bike. And sure enough, I scabbed together a really awful prototype and took it up to the top of this logging road a really long like five mile long logging road and started going down it's kind of my test it was where i'd taken places to, to test things before and you know at like three mile an hour it's stable At five mile an hour it's okay At 10 mile an hour it's got a bit of a shimmy and at 18 i'm like eating dirt and it's, it's a total disaster and it's no good well this day i took it up there and my friend was following in a van and at five mile an hour, good, 10 mile an hour, 20 mile an hour, good, at 35 mile an hour, it was like, work, we got something. <laughs> so, cause it's like leaning around corner and it was, and it only had, it had one rear brake, like a, it was a 19 inch trials wheel or unicycle wheel in the back. Cause I could get the fattest tire for it at the time. It was like a real no suspension, one brake. It was <laughs> such a piece of garbage, but it was. But it was the most fun piece of garbage on the planet that I had ridden. So that's sort of where it all started.
0: I bet that was uh, an amazing feeling on that first ride. Like, this works. <laughs> like, we're cruising along at speeds you've never been before and, and being able to just not feel like you're going to crash.
1: Yeah. And then my, my friend, Bushy's his name, and he he's uh, like a, a biker, like a motorbike biker. Maybe not a bike gang, but maybe not far. Um, <laughs> I was like, let's go up again. And he's like, yeah, but it's like my turn now. <laughs> like, so we spent all day just going between like taking turns. So he was like, yeah, there's no way I'm not going to get to ride this thing. We had a blast.
0: I think that's when you know you got something good when somebody else is like, well, I I want a turn. <laughs> totally. Yeah.
1: It's the guy covered in tattoos that rips around on a motorbike all day and he's like, he's not going to let you not let him have a turn.
0: Yeah that's awesome so obviously a lot has changed how long ago was that approximately
1: that was probably like 2012 okay 2013 that that mechanism came to be and that sort of solution started to grow then you could start applying those little improvements like adding brakes up front and then you then you go faster in harder terrain and it's like well now i can go faster because i can slow down but it's super bumpy, so then adding rear suspension and then adding front suspension and, then adding, and making a better seat, making a better frame, and changing the back wheel to a bigger wheel. And then then it was like, which I'm sure the electric bike world will understand, and it's like, well, it would be fun if we go a little faster and so like a little bigger motor, a little bigger battery, a little bigger this, a little bigger that. So it expanded into all reaches of. Bike technology until it ended up with, like you saw, a pretty high-end product that was worthy of, of sort of what we have to charge to keep the engineering going and, and to keep it as quality as it can be. Because you can't, if things fail on these, or if, if something were to fail, you can't just get off and, and walk home type thing. It being really robust is really important for most of our customers because they can't get out and walk at home. You want to make sure that they don't ever need
0: to. Right. Yeah, I remember that was one of the things you were pointing out. And I I could see from looking at them is at first glance, somebody might think, oh, these things look like overbuilt, (laughs) you know, like too sturdy, like, oh, couldn't you make it a little lighter or do this or that? But like you said, no, you need it to be super reliable. I can't remember, was it three or 4,000 watt motors on a lot of those not that you need all that power, but even if you're running at a lower setting, you just, you want it so it's never going to fail effectively.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's not a speed thing so much as a torque and reliability thing. Electric motors, and that's something that people who don't understand electric bikes or anything, like, you kind of have to explain to them, they're like, oh, what's the motor? And it's like, well, the motor, you could have a giant 100-pound motor bolt to the side of it, but it won't give the power unless your battery and your controller give the power. It's not it's just kind of a dumb thing that spins around. <laughs> it's actually not powerful itself. By having a big motor, you just you're giving yourself more copper and more windings and more ability to dissipate heat. So the motor looks big, but it's not being it's actually not being tasked that much for the amount of power you could shove into it. We over motor, we over controller, and we and then battery wise, we sort of under amperage. Our BMS pumps out less power than so that the cells are happy all the time. And, and we just have a really reliable torquey system.
0: And something I I didn't ask when I was there, I'm just thinking of it now as you're talking about kind of the whole package, uh, is what size or what sort of battery capacities you're putting on these?
1: Our big battery is about 25 amp hours. So about 100, 120 cells around. And this is for the all electric version The reach. But It depends on the type of riding you're doing. I do a lot of cross-country trails or we've got, or even some bigger packing style things. So I like to have a big battery and even like I'll carry two batteries sometimes. But then we have a lot of people who ride bike park. And so they could have a small battery, like 80 cells or like 15 amp hours, 16 amp hours, last them all day because they're just applying power out of a corner a bit or this like this or that and then they hop on the chairlift and then they that takes them to the
0: top God, I was gonna ask if they're using it to to ride up to the top or they're still using the lifts, so their battery powers is or battery usage is pretty minimal at that point.
1: I think sometimes you can find a way up, but at some busy bike parks, you don't want to be going the wrong way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, definitely, definitely not.
1: We get ranges of like smaller battery you get about fifteen mile range, and then the bigger battery up to like thirty mile probably range. And then you can always bring extras just like, just like your crowd. But then the, the crank bike, which we use a Bosch CX system with two power tube 500 on it, that'll give us a range of in turbo mode of about 35, 40 miles. Uh, or no, yeah, 40, 45 miles. Yeah, around there. And that's in turbo. If you want to put in some more effort or just go less fast, you can always just crank on your own.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like you're not getting a lot of people doing you know, like smooth, flat, you know, paved bike paths. Like these are going off road, in terrain, up and down hills. They're taking these places they would want to take a mountain bike. I mean, that's that's what they are.
1: <laughs> they are, yeah. And we've even on the the all electric one, we do have an upgrade with all wheel drive. There's a company in Canada called Grin that makes e bike motors. And so it's two of their hub motors up front. So each front wheel has a hub motor and then our, our 4,000 watt motor in the back. And it is a rocket, Hey, eh? It's just, just the pickup is insane. But it's the access, the places you can go, I do put them on in the winter. And so I can go happily through a foot of snow. Once it gets deep enough that you run out of ground clearance, then you just lose traction. But other than that, you're it is a blast. It's the snowmobile.
0: I'm happy to hear that because I, I mentioned, I have this Velo mobile here that's in the back of the shop. It's on the back burner. It's just, you know, I haven't had time to work on it. And my, you know, when I originally bought it, it didn't have a motor on it at all. And commuting up the steep hill that I have coming up to work was doable, but it was, it was pretty difficult because it's fairly heavy. (laughs) It didn't have a great low climbing gear. And this was before I was really doing a lot of higher powered e-bike stuff and I put a 350 watt mid drive. I was like, I just need a little more help getting up the hill. So I'm not going super slow with traffic. And that's still what it has in it. And I've always debated about, oh, one day I'm going to upgrade this. And it's funny that you have this setup. So I'm going to have to bug you more about that another time. But I've always thought, you know, Grin has these cool single sided hub motors that would be great if I decided to make this thing like all wheel drive with three motors. So you beat me to it, and uh, that sounds like a ton of fun.
1: <laughs> it's so much fun. And it's because early on, it was going to be more of a hassle to figure out how to get all three motors to run off the one throttle since we weren't using a good grin motor in the back. So the very first one was a uh, standard bike with the throttle in the back and then on, with your right hand. And then on your left hand, you had a thumb throttle for the two front motors. And that's actually where we've stayed since we don't have the money to create like a traction control like Tesla, you're your own AI in traction control. So you can be coming down like a trail in the snow and with your back brake on, fishtailing around the corner, on the front throttle, pulling you through the corner. It takes a couple of days to get good at it, to know which throttle to turn. But once you've got it figured out, it is so much fun. It's super engaging. And for even going up, a winter mountain bike trail or a fat bike trail, uh, the front wheels are just a bit outside of the single track. So they're in the softer snow. So you find that I'll over throttle the front just to keep the, the front floating. And then the back pushes along and you can be sifting up the trail that everyone else is in their granny gear and you're going like 20 mile an hour. Just like with a
0: giant grin on your face. Uh, one thing I haven't done is had the opportunity to ride what you have with the leaning, with the off-road capability. I mean, it just uh, it sounds like so much fun on where you could take these things. It really well, we'll
1: does. Have to set that up. <laughs> we'll have to set up a ride at the next Sea Otter coming up and do a little tour. I don't know if you knew the terrain around there, but I've only ever worked when I've been there. But this time around with the new crank bike, I did the gravel race and uh, like 40 miles. It blew my mind how amazing the trails were around that venue
0: yeah there's trails everywhere it's it's crazy how much they've they've done there when you go into the it's there's so many rolling hills you really can't see the trails at all but yeah it just there's trails everywhere uh it's it is pretty crazy
1: that was a great race it kind of threw me off because i thought i'd done a gravel race previously in fernie canada and it was as described it was a gravel road whereas the, the sea otter gravel race starts you out on the the cross-country racing course. So it's actually, I would say, having done the downhill there and the gravel race, I'd say the start of the gravel race is more technical than the downhill because so you're on the cross-country course. You're sort of thrown right into the fire, and I think they do that to stretch it out a bit. I think it's chaos. It was so dry.
0: That kind of separates the uh, skill levels right at the beginning of the race and spreads everybody out.
1: Yeah. It, crashes people out. That was for sure. People were just falling left, right, center. It's hilarious. Knowing what I know now, I think in April, I'm going to take off a little faster and try and get through some people before we hit those sections.
0: Before there's a big pile up.
1: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. But it was was fun to watch, that's for sure. What a great course. So I know some trails to take (laughs) down.
0: Well, good, good. I will definitely have to take you up on that. I'm willing to ride anything on wheels and try it out and see what happens. Thankfully, I think the, uh, the bikes you make are tough enough that they'll handle my lack of skill with it right off the bat because <laughs> I'm sure it's a little bit of a learning curve. Yeah,
1: but I think the hardest riding the bikes see is the first month of riding of anybody getting one. It's funny because everybody's pretty tough on them initially, just in the learning curve.
0: Now, do you find that there is a... Because you mentioned you have multiple models now. You've got the all-electric version... You've got the crank assist with the Bosch motors. What are you building or what are you selling the most of? Or, or is it kind of a pretty diverse range at the moment?
1: We've been pre-selling the, the crank version, the RX. We're getting everything set up for assembly and we're getting all like everything sort of ready to go for shipping in January. But so currently the only bikes that have left the shop are the all electric. The all electric is pretty new to the adaptive world. That's not something anybody's ever done before. We really created that space and the value behind not having to crank. Because cranking is it's fun. It's awesome. The RX is a mind-blowing bike. But before that, the competitive bikes that have crank and maybe a, now they have E-Assist as well. But you can't go with the same pace that your friends on mountain bikes go, especially not if they're good. That was really what the Reach opened up. What the All Electric opened up was that Your hands were on a handlebar, like a motorbike. You're engaged. Your task is to to lean it and steer it and to watch the trail. The motor will move you forward. And lots of people thought, well, like, oh, I I want something that I'm going to get exercise. It's like, well, have you ever seen, like, an obese motocross rider? And they don't have pedals. It's like, if you're going fast, it is engaging. Especially, like, trying to keep up with two people on two wheels. And so that was really... It kind of created the opportunity to actually go downhill race your your adaptive bike. If you look at the times at Sea Otter and and the guy who won, Cole Bernier, he's ahead of, I don't know the percentage, a lot of able-bodied riders. It's pretty much on par with a high intermediate downhill bike racer with the speed that you can keep up to. So you, you are really engaged. It took a while to convince people that that was something that they could have access to in their life, Whereas the RX satisfies the hand cycling crowd of which there are tens of thousands of people that already do that sport and understand that sport and would like to expand what they do in that sport. So I think we're anticipating actually higher sales of the RX than we are the all-electric reach.
0: Now, I know I've seen a lot of road-going hand cycles, but yours is obviously totally off-road capable. Is there anything... Like what you're doing, or is all those people you just mentioned that are hand cycles are they all pretty much doing road riding of some sort at this point?
1: Yeah, they're doing road, or there are these off road ones with cranks on them, but they just don't work very well, <laughs> frankly. Like I did that, I did the Sea Otter gravel race, which was I was the only adaptive person in there. I had an e motor, but I was I was welcomed by the crowd. I don't know. You could look at the results, but I was in the top third, I think of finishers in that race, but i mean i was my heart rate was tapped the whole time, like even though I had a motor, I also had a hundred pound bike and a quarter of the wattage coming out of my arms, so it was probably closer to, to even than than you'd think. but the fact that I could do a gravel race on like which was on a cross country course and then on road, I hit forty six mile an hour down one of the hills. What I realized when we got the RX done was this isn't just a, a cross-country mountain bike cycle. This is the best road bike I've ever ridden either. Like, so I haven't ridden my road bike since I got it done. Now, not to say that it would re- it would replace that, because if, if you race road bikes, then you need a road bike to race. And it's an awesome sport, and I loved it. But most of my road biking was done commuting to work uh, on the bike path, because you're really low. I don't know if you've seen them, but like... You're basically laying down recumbent-wise. Your head's like 18 inches off the ground. It's below the height of the wheel. And they're super aerodynamic, but it would be hard to argue that they're safe if you're not on a bike path. If you're on a road, you're next to invisible, and it's pretty scary. And you can't look around much. They're not great bikes to go biking with someone on. Like It's hard to talk and engage with someone when you're down there. Whereas in the RX, you're sitting up quite a bit higher. You can look around. You can go up a curb, down a curb. You've got three disc brakes as opposed to like one cantilever brake on the front of on the front wheel that's barely weighted. Like you can stop on a dime. It's the safest road bike I've had. And then from a training standpoint, I don't know if you have found this with e-bikes, is that I don't really use, so on the Bosch system, you've got off and then you've got eco mode, tour mode, e-bike, e-mountain bike mode and turbo mode. If I was training and so I, like I do like to i came from marathons and wheelchair racing, and I do like to to train and i'm an, i call myself an endurance athlete. If I wanted to train on my road bike, I had to find more paths to train on like if i if I to do a long ride to work, I'd have to go in the opposite direction down the river you know until halfway and then come back to work whereas now because the r x is yes like a an eighty five pound bike mountain bike tires just turn
0: the assist level down or off and you get as much exercise as you want
1: yeah i use my assist levels more as resistance yeah
0: right now since we're in the middle of winter especially when it's cold out i just feel like all right if i am cold i turn the assist down i pedal more (laughs) i get warmed up if it's uh you know i feel like i want a little more assist or i want to get to work or whatever faster, then I can turn the assist up. But yeah, I, I kind of modulate the assist level to keep my body temperature correct in the wintertime. I do that all the time. So kind of similar to that.
1: I rode in today. So today, search the to weather in Calgary. It was minus 30 Celsius, which is like minus 20 Fahrenheit, I think.
0: Ooh, and you rode in this morning?
1: Yeah, because we're kind of testing <laughs> as well. And so the batteries were out overnight. Everything was outside. My Garmin shut down for about five minutes, but the battery, like the Bosch system was happy and alive. The SRAM access battery, which it was inside, but it lasted, it did the whole thing. But it, yeah, it was, everything worked. And I did leave it in turbo because I wanted to get to work. But, it, <laughs> but it, was a, it was snowy and it was a slow ride anyways. But, yeah, uh,
0: We've been riding in the snow here the last few days and... Uh, you know, but it's been in the in the 30s Fahrenheit during the day, so nothing compared to those temperatures. And uh, and guys around the shop have been complaining that it's that it's cold. And you know, we had a couple of new bikes show up, and I'm like, I gotta go ride the bike. So I was out, you know, in the in the icy snow on the trails and kind of taking it easy because it was slippery and everything. But nothing compared to the temperatures you're talking about.
1: Well, and it's it's beautiful. That not that like I it's kind of just so I could test it really and and say that we did it. But I also don't mind. Once you get used to it, it's not bad. But it's great because I would always get out of shape in the winter because I've got kids and I don't have the time to go across country machine as much as I used to. And so my commute is, is how I stay fit. In the winter, I couldn't ride my road bike in the winter because commuting tires just didn't get me to or from work in the snow. And now I've got, I clearly have a machine now that I can, any day I'm feeling tough enough to ride, it's there.
0: Yeah, you're the limiting factor, not the equipment anymore exactly yeah i feel like i do similar thing and it's it's usually is not the bikes that are the limiting factor in the winter time for me it's just oh it's it's raining it's wet do i really want to get you know cold and wet on the way to work but yeah i don't i don't have a road bike anymore i used to and i would commute to work on that all the time but now yeah my favorite e-bikes to commute on are trail capable off-road bikes cuz i can hit the trails have some fun on the way and also when it's just road sections they do that just fine too. I like the versatility of that they can just go everywhere. So
1: and funny with like a bigger bike like that too you can do if you are interested you're still the you know the watt measuring like uh, interval riding guy that that maybe you once were before if, if the bike path was busy I couldn't do an interval cuz it just wasn't safe to do. 25 mile an hour on the on the bike path with kids and stuff now with a 85 pound bike I turn off the motor and (laughs) you're not going going so fast it's a seven mile an hour working my butt off and it's totally safe I look like a maniac but my heart doesn't know how fast I'm going it could be on l for all that knows it's become like this awesome training tool too and the the advent of gravel bike racing is really exciting to me too never had a bike that could do that and as a as a road hand cyclist like as a, a wheelchair racer i was always excited because i had marathons that i could do sort of here and there and everywhere and they closed the road down and it was safe and it was fun but it's hard to find a road bike race because it's hard to get roads shut down whereas gravel bike racing is everywhere now it's super yeah. fun and it's super safe and there's a wicked crowd of people and and now i've got a bike that can do it so we, we got the rx prototype done, and it never occurred to me that i'd race it and in the matter of like four months i did the fernie gravel grind the sea otter gravel race and then i did a cyclocross race here right at the end of the season as well which was i never thought i'd do one it was so much fun
0: awesome i've never done a cyclocross race i've got a brother-in-law who's really competitive and does all sorts of crazy runs and cycling and i've watched some of his cyclocross races up in oregon and uh Yeah. I, I would imagine this would be a perfect fit for, (laughs) for those, uh, just with the obstacles and different things and it's challenging and there's just, you know, yeah, you gotta have a capable machine to do that.
1: We do. And it's just a wrestling match all around this thing. And again, like, like everything cycling, the people are, are generally amazing and still as like a big, like, you know, barrier you have to jump over and they just like added some tape and some a little ride around for me, and and that was my way around there. And yeah, super accommodating. But again, just race in the men's category, and they started me at the back because they didn't know what would happen. And and by the end, I worked my way through half the pack,
0: and, and it was great fun. That's cool. I I hope, and I I assume it's only bound to happen as you introduce this new model and you get them into production. That you know, it's just going to become more and more commonplace, and people are going to get more used to to seeing them and uh, yeah it's super cool
1: that's what was so nice about the cyclocross race because in the gravel like i wasn't sure it's really nice that people let us in and race with them but like in the early days with downhill i, I was always nervous that the bike was capable and that i was capable and I wasn't going to get in the way of anybody and that's that's taken out and just fine and and then in gravel racing like you're just in a at least in the ferny one it was just like a big gravel road so i wasn't worried that i'd get in the way but then at sea otter is it as i came around the corner it was in the cross country course i was like shoot i hope i'm in the right pace that i'm not holding someone up I would be faster on the straights but they're better in the corners and the cyclocross race really helped me with that because cyclocross is nothing but corners and i was with this, this like 15 year old kid for like three laps neck and neck we were the same pace it was encouraging that way that this, this really is just a, just a bike
0: awesome well i hope that you can figure out what to call it in a way that people recognize it for what it is this has been enlightening for me because i feel like i have a better understanding of what it is too because yeah an adaptive trike would have been the first thing that comes to mind but now that you've really kind of outlined how it's being used and how people view it that are using it i mean it's no different than the e-mountain bike i go hop on it does exactly the same thing it looks different but the end result is it's doing exactly the same thing
1: and one like one more thing on it which is interesting to me because i thought the all-electric would be the bike of choice for the able-bodied crowd to to hop on but one of the guys that works here was he's an ex-ironman triathlete he'd come Second in Ironman Canada, he was a pro. He's like so ultra fit, huge pedigree of fitness, and his preference is to hop on the RX when he wants an arm workout. I was like, oh yeah, I guess. I mean, if you're if you're after an arm workout, which everyone has two of, or most people have two of, and they're just as important to them as their legs, like to stay fit, then it's just a great fitness
0: bike. I can only imagine for me not having used a hand cycle of any sort, it would be a killer workout <laughs> for me. It would probably be extremely tough. Yeah.
1: But then that's the great equalizer of the e-bike is that you can give it a little more juice and still play. We'll get you on both of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I'm more than happy to try them both. I really look forward to it. I really appreciate your time today and, and all the the stories you, you've you shared um, so far. Uh, it sounds like we'll be in touch more by the next sea otter at the very least. Where should people go if they wanna check these out? They wanna see more.
1: Yeah, like I said, if they if they go to our webpage at ww.oheadcorp.com. And in the top right, there's a, a link to the Instagram, YouTube. We've got we have quite a few like longer videos. We do a series, will it reach, and where we do some bike packing and some racing and stuff where you can get a, a better sense of them. Instagram and YouTube are the, are the best, and, and we appreciate all the support. And it's good because not everybody who needs or wants one of these knows about these. And so it's really a numbers game. The, the more people that, that see it and are able to share it, then the more
0: opportunity someone who needs one can find out about it. Definitely. Yeah, I know. I'm in the e-bike industry, and I don't know that I really knew about you guys. I think I might have seen something somewhere before Sea Otter, but it really wasn't at the forefront. And then once I saw it in person, I was like, oh yeah, I personally know people that could use this. So definitely, whoever you are, just share this on your social media, whatever, because odds are either somebody you know or somebody they know (laughs) would love one of these and just has no idea they even exist at this point. So please do. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time on the podcast today. Uh, Appreciate everybody listening again. If you are new to the podcast for any reason and interested in more information on electric bikes or more interviews like this one, make sure to go to ebikepodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter. And I will talk to you on another Tuesday.